0: It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania,
1: Are back with OWC Radio. I'm Serena Catania, and Michael Thomas is on the line with me. He's a VP of Marketing and Business Development at Bebop. And on the last show, we were talking about this wonderful ebook that he wrote that helps all of us who are doing remote. Connecting, recording, anything having to do with remote creative experience, and we talked about that. And you can go to Bebop Technology, and you can find that ebook. I recommend everyone to download that. But Michael, welcome back! Because in the process of talking to you, I figured out that I had all these questions about Bebop to ask you. So the first thing is welcome back.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Anytime I can talk to you, uh, it's a good day. And tell us what Bebop is. So many years ago, I started looking into remote editing and creation with tools like Adobe Anywhere and Avid Interplay and Avid Cloud Remote. And before that, Final Cut Server with check in and check out from Final Cut Classic, because I saw that as the direction where the industry was going. And so about two and a half years ago, I left a very nice and very rewarding job at Keycode Media to go to a startup, Bebop Technology, because I believed in the technology that much. But the Bebop technology is, is cloud collaboration. And I know collaboration is kind of a very loaded word, but what Bebop is doing is virtualized post-production in the cloud. So those data centers that Amazon and Azure and Google have all over the world, Bebop is in those data centers. And we offer up powerful workstations fast shared storage, live review and approve. We offer security. We offer sharing of links of the content to people on and off Bebop. We integrate with financing solutions. We integrate with tablets. We allow folks to work anywhere, use the horsepower in data centers and collaborate with everyone on their team all in a centralized place. And it goes into your OPEX budget right? It's something you pay for monthly. And then when you don't need it, you spin it down. You have more projects come in, you spin up more workstations and we increase your storage. We give you ways of archiving. We give you ways of delivery. So it's taking everything that's in the four walls of a post-production facility, putting it in the cloud and then make it easy for anyone to access.
1: Who is this for?
0: What software runs on Bebop? I get this question all the time. In data centers, 95% of the time, data centers are going to be Windows or some form of Linux or Unix in the cloud. That's because Windows machines, you can put just about any part in there and it's going to work. And so many of these data centers, because they're used for general business computing and rendering, they're accustomed to using things that run on Windows. A lot of folks in the media and entertainment space want to use mac os. I get it. I am talking to you on a macOS system and I have a hackintosh directly to my left here. But there are only a handful of Apple centric data centers. And when I say Apple centric, I mean ones that either Apple owns and they make public or third parties like Mac Stadium. There's only a handful of those around the world. And those systems don't scale well, meaning in a typical data center, if I want an additional CPU or additional uh, uh, GPU, a graphics card, I click a few boxes and I get it. When you're dealing with Mac data centers, a lot of those data centers don't scale in that way, so you get a Mac Mini, an iMac, or a Mac Pro. That's it. You want more horsepower? You got to use a different system. They also don't have fast shared storage, and folks who are doing episodic TV, high-end color grades, you need that shared storage, and the sh- shared storage you're normally getting in Mac-centric data centers are consumer, prosumer, and to top it off, they are isn't a great screen sharing protocol for Mac OS. There are things like Jump Desktop and Parsec. We just heard a few weeks ago that Teradici, who is one of the leaders in screen sharing technologies, is going to be porting over their PC over IP protocol to Mac. But that aside, there just isn't a good screen sharing application that gives creatives 30, 60 frames a second at HD or higher resolutions. So there's so many things that make accessing a Mac in the cloud not very realistic right now. So all that being said, Bebop is the platform you can use any computer you want to get into it. So if you have an iMac, you have a Mac Pro, you have a Windows machine, all of those can access the Bebop platform. The environment you create in, in the cloud, by and large, is going to be a Windows experience. So Bebop will run just about any Windows software that the end client has a license for. So when we talk to clients, you say, look, we want to use Adobe Creative Cloud, we want to use Resolve, and we want to use Red Giant. Okay, all three of those applications have Windows versions. We can install all of those. The only really outliers as of February 2021 is Avid Media Composer. Avid Media Composer spells out in their EULA that you have to use Azure if you're doing their work in the cloud. You have to rent a VM license from them. So it's it's a little bit more complicated. They also have their own proprietary solution called Avid Edit On Demand. But to go back to your original question, If it runs on Windows, we can pretty much run it with a few exceptions. So forget Final Cut Pro. Yes, uh, I'm sorry to say that because I've been a Mac OS user and a Final Cut user for many, many years. But unfortunately, there isn't a lot of built-in support for that. If we look at ways to share libraries in Final Cut 10, that's usually done by third-party tools like PostLab and Hedge. And Apple doesn't have that built-in so Taking advantage of workstations in the cloud and taking advantage of collaborative technology like shared storage, that isn't something that is accelerated by Final Cut 10. So there's a couple reasons why it just wouldn't make financial sense. Uh, But I'm hopeful that at some point, Apple data centers will be more prevalent and Bebop can incorporate that as well.
1: Things are changing very fast. You just don't know, right? So your providers are Azure, AWS, Google Cloud, right?
0: Yes, when you're an editor, you need both CPU, so your processor, you also need GPU, and you also need fast storage. And when I say fast storage, I mean high IOPS, low latency. And a lot of the data centers out there are either just storage-based, like Wasabi or Backblaze, or they only offer up compute, and they don't offer up GPU. So when we take a look at the three big data centers, they have all the ingredients you need for a post-production cake. And that's why Bebop has partnered with each of them.
1: And so the solutions that you're using will direct us via Bebop to whichever one is most appropriate for the solutions
0: we're using, right? Yes. Normally, before Bebop deploys, we'll speak with the client and say, hey, you know, what data center do you like? One of the things that Bebop feels very strongly about is we don't believe in dictating to the end client what data center to use. One of our larger clients uh, is Disney. And if we went to Disney and said, Disney, I understand you have a a deal with AWS, but we're going to make you pay our AWS rate in order to use Bebop, that wouldn't fly because Disney, among others, have negotiated their rates with the cloud provider. So what Bebop does is say there's a per seat license that you pay per month, and then all the cloud costs, all the storage, all the hours on the workstation, all the servers, we deploy that under the end client account so you can negotiate that rate with the cloud provider. And what most people don't know is that if you plan on using the cloud a decent amount, you can call someone at the cloud provider and say, I plan on using XYZ cloud for a year, two years. I plan on doing this much work. I want a better rate. And there are lower rates. You can get lower rates. You just have to call and tell them the scope of what you're doing. And we don't want to get in the middle of that because any client we work with has things larger than what they're editing on, right? They have bigger concerns, bigger direct with their business. So if they call and negotiate better rates, Great. You get them. We don't get in the middle of that.
1: You set up the super-duper workstations. Boy, that was a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those ones that they want to have you repeat over and over again to test you. So, But you do set up those workstations at Bebop, right? I mean, so what is a zero client? Can you explain to people what that
0: is and why we might need it? Sure. Before I go into the zero client, an easier way of explaining it would be, let's say you're a freelance editor and you're hired to edit. Let's say there is no virus, there is no COVID, everyone goes to a building and works. Imagine the the day one when you walk into a facility. The workstations are there, the shared storage is in in there, your video conferencing is set up. Everything that you need to work on a project in post-production is there, ready to go. That's what Bebop is providing. We're providing that day one, walk into the facility and things are ready to go. One of the great tools that's been around for years is a zero client. As we talked about in the last interview we did, many folks have unoptimized workstations. They're working wirelessly. They have Chrome and Firefox and 50 tabs open and Spotify going and FTP transfers. And and all of those are going to make your remote experience horrible. So there's a concept of a zero client, and folks who are familiar with the old mainframe topologies, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and a little bit of the 80s, is that what if the end user just has a dumb terminal? All you have is a little box that does no processing. All it does, its only purpose in life, is to connect to a remote machine somewhere. And that's what a zero client is. It allows you to have a gateway to connect to a remote machine without all those underpinnings of your OS and all the apps you're not supposed to be running but are trying to run in the foreground. Those can't run because your dumb terminal doesn't have a Windows OS or a Mac OS or any OS. So we quite frequently recommend zero clients for folks who are in bandwidth-challenged locations, like in the Philippines, for example, or South America, where you don't have a great internet connection. If we give them a zero client, it makes the experience a lot easier. For security, if you are use a zero client to get into a workstation somewhere, there's no software for you to do a screen record. There's no way for you to illegally export and download it, right? All of that is remote, and you you just have a window to get into that remote system.
1: Now, obviously, you're going to uh, talk to your clients about which client to use, or do you have one that you can recommend or a series of them? or What's your favorite zero client, Michael? Are you allowed
0: to say? (laughs) Yes, I certainly can. Tell
1: me your secret. Get real (laughs)
0: close. Get real close and I'll tell you. Shh, don't tell anybody else. (laughs) Okay, what is it? Bebop has been built in a modular way. And what I mean by that is... The majority of the technology on Bebop is Bebops. It's our homegrown IP. But we have found a fantastic protocol called PC over IP. It's by a company called Teradici. They're global, just fantastic company. And so at this point, we utilize the Teradici PC over IP protocol. Teradici makes cards, makes hardware cards that are meant to connect via PC over IP, and they also make zero clients. Teradici also is a great OEM business. So as long as you get a zero client that has a Teradici PC over IP card in it, you should be good. Bebop tends to recommend a company called Tenzig 10 Z-I-G, and they have the 1206 models. And those models, they start under 300 bucks. They allow multiple monitors, they have microphone inputs, USB inputs, multiple monitor outputs, and it's of just a very stable connection. And so we have at least a dozen clients that have bought 20 or 30 of these things and then ship them out to their creatives all around the country so they can edit remotely with the highest security and lowest latency.
1: I love that. I love, anytime you talk to me about security, my ears perk up because I've had some very bad experiences with it. And I know a lot of companies are getting hacked and things stolen right now.
0: So this is wonderful. You bring up a really good point about security. And, you know, a year ago when you were working at a facility, they had the rules they followed, right? Your Maybe your machine wasn't online. Maybe you had a proxy server, so you couldn't get it out there were all these rules in place and and when we all had to be quarantined last year a lot of those security mechanisms became if possible now no one's going to say that publicly because you're you'd be in breach of any contract you've signed but security got a little bit more lax and there was a lot of trust right we're trusting the editors to go home edit and not leak stuff And I think by and large, it's done really well. But unfortunately, there are people out there who have decided that let's capitalize on this and uh, the rise in hacks. For less secured protocols like Windows RDP or Remote Desktop Protocol, ZDNet had a great article out the other day on this, that it's gone through the roof in terms of hackers, in terms of people having their security compromised. So by utilizing zero clients, by utilizing protocols that aren't really hackable, like PC over IP, it's something that uh, folks need to look into and you can't just trust what I like to call security through obscurity. Just because you haven't been hacked doesn't mean you won't in the future. So especially now, you really have to take a magnifying glass to these secure protocols and make sure they are, in fact, secure.
1: Now, one of the things in the past I always talked about was the transfer speed and how difficult it was to get your data up into the cloud, your media up into the
0: cloud. Talk to me about that. You're right. And that's not something that Bebop can wave a wand, right? If, you're, if your internet speeds are more dial-up than cable modem, that's not something we can fix. That's not something that any other tech is going to fix. It is what it is. The highway is closed. You can't get through. So we have found a lot of the episodic television that's being done on Bebop, a lot of the documentaries that's coming in waves, a lot of that is arriving directly to the post facility. And then a post facility person who can still access the facility is uploading things because they have the faster connection. We're also seeing a large influx to something that Frame.io talks about quite a bit. In fact, they have an announcement coming up on this is camera to cloud, which is why take that content and put it on a drive and drive it somewhere or ship it somewhere? Why not beam it directly from where it's being acquired up to the cloud? Why not create proxies, send those up to the cloud because they're lightweight and when they're in the cloud, anyone who has, who has access can get them. Why not do that? And so we're seeing a, a larger move to people making that leap and saying, look, I'll upload the proxies directly to the cloud. My editors can start working on them and then When they need the high-res, that's usually a couple days later when that content has time to be uploaded or has time to get back to the post-facility where you can do a proper color pass and audio mix.
1: Yeah, get back to Basecamp and then worry about it. Yeah, and a lot of people are using proxy workflows now. It's become much easier no matter what NLE you're using. Now, you talked about being able to screen share, and that brought to mind your whole over-the-shoulder aspects of this, where you can share with your client, and they can see what you're doing. How does Bebop work that way? Oh, I'm so
0: excited about this. I haven't been able to talk a lot about it. So you get kind of a scoop here. We did a soft launch in November. And in November, we released a product that comes with a Bebop platform that's called Bebop Rev Live. And Bebop Rev Live is the successor to OTS. OTS is our existing screen share technology. And OTS is great when you have to have two people talking one to one and you need it in the most secure way possible. So, sensitive discussions. This new product called Bebop Rev Live allows you, when you're working on Bebop uh, in the cloud, to play out directly from your timeline to a web browser. And we're talking minimal latency. So I can uh, have my entire computer GUI up through my Bebop session. I hit play, and with no extra drain on the system, you can send a link to as many people as you want, and they can view the direct output of your timeline. That means you're not getting a what I like to call a screen scrape, right? Where it's just grabbing what's on your screen. We're actively pulling from the direct output of your NLE timeline. So you're getting the highest quality, you're getting the sync, and you're getting the low latency because of the tech Bebop has in the background. So it allows you to play out from your timeline. People on the webpage who are viewing it on the webpage can view it in standard quality or high quality. They can give feedback either via email. We're gonna be tying this into a video conferencing system. So you can use Teams or BlueJeans or or Zoom, and you can use the great collaboration that those video conferencing solutions have, but you get to use the video provided by Bebop. So it's the best of both worlds. Oh, that's epic. Well, you're solving all the problems, Michael. Well, you know, a lot of folks are coming out with tools like this, and Bebop Rev Live is just the first step. And I can tell you that Bebop Rev Live, we're going to be doing a heck of a lot with it in the near future. It's part of my goal to democratize this type of technology and bring it to the masses. And I think Bebop is doing that in a really, really good way. What happens if
1: disaster strikes and we lose our media, can we recover it? Whatever's been
0: sent to Bebop, you're backing it up over there, right? Great question. I know this is a topic very near and dear to your heart. Anyone who knows who knows that 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 is something that's very top (laughs) on your list. Uh, That's the great thing about the cloud. If you were to have storage at your house and on one hard drive, that one hard drive, you know, the wind blows the wrong way that drive gets corrupted. When you upload things to a a CSP a cloud service provider, they're already backing it up and putting it in multiple places. So if one of the drives in the cloud fails, they've got all that content. I think they're I don't want to say it's 16 9s, but we're talking just massive uptime. What you can also do in the cloud is obviously Part content in other places. So if that 16 nines of uptime isn't enough on your fast storage in the cloud, you can always put it into a slower tier or even an archival tier so it doesn't get lost. We uh, traditionally find that most users are creating backups in the cloud, not as many backups. You know, the old rule was three different backups and at least one of them's off-site, right? We're not seeing that as much in the cloud. We're normally seeing the cloud as one backup point. But folks are traditionally having a hard copy on-premises as well because they're most likely going to do a high-end color pass or a surround sound audio mix in the future. And those two things are still best served being done at the office.
1: All right. Well, I promised everybody we were going to talk about the Super Bowl. So about a year ago, I believe, you guys approached the NFL and talked to them about remote possibilities you know, for the games. Tell me how the Super Bowl... Boy, this is a huge topic. I don't even know how to start this. How did it work? Let's let's go under the hood a little bit and and tell me if you know how many editors there were and where were they and did we get pre records? How did they, we do the replays? What about streaming? What about the roll-ins? I mean, all of these things that as a producer I start thinking about, what did Bebop do to help that process along for the production company that's responsible for all of
0: that. Sure. The story starts almost two years ago. When I had just started at Bebop, I went to the NFL. Bebop has a great relationship with Adobe. We were introduced to some folks at the NFL, and we met Brad Boim and Eric Peters. And they really liked Bebop, but they weren't sure it was going to work for everyone in the various departments, which we completely understood. It's a newer technology. But we signed a contract, and uh, they were using it for several games, you know, doing promotional stuff. And then the pandemic hit. And on that Thursday, everyone had to be sent home. And we got a call from the NFL out here in LA. And they said, look, we can't have anyone in the building. How fast can you get more machines? So over the past year, we're over 50. We may be close to 100 seats. We are close to 100 terabytes in various tiers of storage. And 95% of uh, the post-production for the NFL this season by the NFL was done on Bebop. When the Super Bowl was coming up, the NFL had spoken to the folks at Van Wagner, uh, who for years have done the in-stadium entertainment for the Super Bowl, no matter where it was. So we got in touch with them, and we were able to spin up, I think, over a dozen systems. And they had editors and creatives, uh, video editors, motion graphics, et cetera, uh, all around the country. So East Coast, West Coast, et cetera. All of them were able to remote into one data center on the Bebop platform. They were able to upload all the content they needed. They were able to browse through the content that they had back at the office. They were able to browse content from other Super Bowls they had done to pull legacy material. And they were able to assemble all of the media and all of the hype reels and player profiles that were played at the stadium. In fact, what's funny is that on the day of the Super Bowl, They weren't using the systems at all because they had finished everything prior to that. The NFL was using Bebop for some live portions of the Super Bowl, but not a lot I can talk to publicly about that, unfortunately. But, yeah. Yeah. The long story short is there were, you know, over a dozen editors all across the country using fast shared storage, using Premiere, cutting both motion graphics stuff, stuff with alpha channels, compressed 265 material and 264 material. So it really was kind of a a crowning achievement because it's a technology that we've been talking about and showing and, and selling for years. And now to see it used on the big stage was just fantastic.
1: You must be so proud of that, Michael.
0: (laughs) <laughs> you know I am very proud but I know that I wasn't the one who was supporting them when there were questions at midnight. I wasn't the one making code changes to accommodate workflows. That was the team that allows me to sit on their shoulders. So it was definitely them. But what's also been very interesting and I have to be very careful the way I speak about this is all of the projects that came onto Bebop last year. Big shows from VOD partners that I can't say out loud, a lot of these shows that were in post last year are now finally getting to air. And so it's fantastic. In our internal conversations at the company, it feels like every every other week someone else is saying, "Hey, remember that show we did for so and so? It's airing next week." Or did you see the episode last night? So, it's great to finally see kind of the end game of this media and this isn't just, you know, corporate marketing or weddings. This is things that are getting Nielsen ratings and that are being scrutinized and we're able to say we allowed that. We facilitated the creatives being able to do this when they were locked down and couldn't leave the house. We did that. And the fact that we've also been able to keep thousands of people employed because we've been enabling these workflows and they didn't go unemployed because they couldn't go into the, into the office to work. The fact that we were able to facilitate that is just immensely gratifying.
1: Wow. And I, I just remember how excited you were when we talked a couple of years ago, because you had just started. You had literally just started at Bebop. And to think where you were then and where you are now and everything that has happened. And as unfortunate as it is, we have to live with the way things are right now. You are facilitating remote production and post-production, which is a part of our everyday life. If we're going to make a living, we need to know how to do it. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here, because I do hope that people will go to Bebop and check it out. Now, I'm assuming that the workflow manuals that the production department and post-production department would produce, there's a collaboration that would occur between your client and Bebop to make sure that everything that is lined up is being done in a way that Going to work for
0: everybody. Am I correct on that? Yes, but it is malleable. One of the great examples is Vox Media out of New York. They're doing marketing and advertising campaigns for dozens, if not more, companies. So they'll give us a call and say, Hey, remember the show we did uh, uh, last month? Well, we're going to do one just like it. Can I get 12 machines, 10 terabytes of storage with our standard disk image? And then they'll use Bebop for X amount of weeks. And then when they're done, they spin it down. And now they have that kind of encapsulated cost that they can then pass along to their end clients. So it becomes really good for kind of the gig-based economy. I like to think of Bebop as cloud Sherpas for post. (laughs) Folks want to make it very technical, and anyone who knows me knows I love making it technical. But what Bebop excels in is taking the erector set that is the cloud and making it simple. So people can just get on and create. And at the end of the day, everyone who works in post has honed their skills so much that any slowdowns can hamper or even cause you to miss a delivery date. So anything we can do to eliminate that kind of barrier and tech barrier just makes it easier for people to create.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. That's wonderful. Well, wow. is there anything really significant that I haven't asked you about that you might want to talk about at this point?
0: Trying to see how much I can get away with. We will have a few more announcements in the not-too-distant future that's going to help Bebop be a part of a lot more people, not just ones that are in the cloud. And uh, I'm very excited about that. I would ask to uh, follow our Twitter feed because we're going to be starting to mention some of the projects we've been a part of that we can finally talk about. So check that out. You know me, Serena, I'm always a glutton for sharing tech. So anyone who has any questions can hit me up anywhere online and you know that I'm going to be there to answer questions. Now tell us where to go to find you. Sure, a couple ways. My name, Michael Thomas I have the same handle on every social media platform. Or you can always go to fivethingsseries.com. I haven't had an update there in a little bit, but there's a ton of archival tech info where I demystify concepts in post-production.
1: I love your five things podcast. And that's Michael Commas K-A-M-M-E-S, Michael Commas And where do we go to find Bebop? Beboptechnology.com. And that's B-E-B-O-P, technology.com. Michael, we're going to have you back on very soon because I have a feeling that some of these announcements are going to be pretty groovy.
0: They're going to be awesome.
1: This is wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and everybody listening. Remember, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. Get on over to Bebop online. This is Serena Catania. I'm saying goodbye to Michael Thomas and I'm going to sign off. Thanks for listening, and thank you to OWC for sponsoring this wonderful podcast where we can talk to amazing people and bring all these ideas and new ways of doing to you at home. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we love and appreciate OWC. Have a great day.